This is The Work. Welcome to my podcast. My name is Lisa. Here we dive into the things that we might not want to look at, but that we know will change and transform, that will take us to the next level, take us to the space and help us create the space where we can be who we're meant to be and live the life that we're meant to be living. So let's go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Massive Source podcast and interview. So today I have with me Alexandra Kakia. Kakia, is that right? Kakia. Yeah. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Thank you, Lisa. No, thank you so much for joining us all the way from Malta. Uh, such a no. You're actually in Gozo, but it's the it's the neighbor island of Malta, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Gozo, Gozo is the smaller uh, sister island of Malta. Exactly. A beautiful, beautiful place. And um, today's topic is social impact from the perspective of the self, which is a huge, broad topic. As usual, I love having huge, broad topics, which we're going to go just deeper into, right? Through, through, um, your personal experience in the work that you do and this is where I always allow you to introduce yourself because um, I think it's so interesting to hear about what you're really really passionate about first of all and what it is that you do but also how you got to be um, become or, or come onto that particular path of your life. Yes, definitely. So I can start with what I do in a in a very small nutshell, which is um, I organize, let's say, wellness events, mm-hmm. uh, mostly at festivals and also most recently in corporations. So events that focus around health, well-being, self-awareness, um, self-development, sustainability, um, let's say all of the topics that support a human being to, to thrive and connect to themselves, connect to each other, and connect to nature. Mm-hmm. Um, so my my uh, my company is called Thrive, and we do event management like retreats and and festivals, as I said, and and corporate and work at corporations. So to put us in the perspective of the topic, mm-hmm. I guess it it's good for me to. to to share a bit of my journey and how I got here. Um, so when I was younger, I guess I always had this calling to to give back or to do something to contribute to the well-being of the world. You know, I always felt like I wanted to to give back to the world. Mm. And when I was younger, I was quite an activist, and I used to do. You know, I was part in a, part of a lot of campaigns like the fish fish awareness and tree planting and. I did a lot of work with migrants. Really? So in Malta, because we are an island and we're right um, above Africa, we get many, many uh, boats yeah. and we get many migrants stopping in Malta. And there was a lot of separation between people fleeing refugees, basically people fleeing for their life, and mm. the Maltese population. Really? Um, uh-huh. Yeah, and I was, I think I was quite young at the time, maybe I was like 18, but me and my friends were like, it was really sad to see this sort of, you know, this um, xenophobia basically building in the country. Mm. And 
we wanted to sort of create uh, events that create this integration between Maltese people and the Africans and all the people who come into the country. So we created an NGO and we started doing these integration events, simple events like music events and parties and uh, football tournaments and English mm. and Maltese lessons and That's so cool. uh, these sort of more fun um, perspective of a way to get people to connect together. And, and that was really beautiful. And then I started to feel after some time quite helpless in terms of like I wasn't seeing much change in more and more people kept on coming and mm. a lot of people had these serious struggles you know a lot of these people yeah. left their family and you know witnessed a lot of violence you know happen to their family and they were very traumatized and experienced a lot of hardship and suffering and potentially never seeing half their family members again mm. and I felt I struggled a lot because I felt like nothing was changing and it wasn't improving and mm. To a certain um, extent, I still feel a little like that in terms of our issues in Malta with this. Mm. Then I went traveling. Um, I went on a bit of a, an adventure and I traveled um, in Africa and Southeast Asia. And I somehow, through my journey or some, I don't know, spiritual experience or some connection to God, I got this feeling like if I wanted to uh, give back to the world, I had to focus on nature. If yeah. I supported nature, nature will support us as human beings. Beautiful. And that was the feeling I got. So I said, okay, I tried, you know, being in an NGO, helping people. And now I want to, I want to help nature because if we help nature, nature will help us. We need nature to survive. Mm. Nature gives us our planet and our oxygen and everything that we need. Mm. So if I put my energy into supporting nature, I feel like that's a really constructive way to, express myself mm. so yeah so then I started uh, then I got into permaculture I I uh, and renewable energy and I started learning how to work the land and I started working on some organic farms and learning how to grow food and got Can fascinated ask, by permaculture so those, could yes. you just ask because before and probably still I have some you know lack of knowledge but before I actually didn't understand what perma culture means could you just yes do like a definitely. short yeah for sure for sure yeah um so permaculture comes from i mean permanent culture yeah so it's creating a, a sustainable it's a philosophy really it's mm. a it's a life philosophy about how to sort of live in harmony with nature where we are thriving yeah alongside nature so mm. nature is thriving and we're also thriving versus let's say how we're living at the moment in society and the world which is we're sort of taking and consuming from nature and nature is slowly slowly degrading and suffering yeah so it's in building this philosophy into your life where you can live in a way that you're in harmony with nature and we're both driving off each other yeah so it's a whole topic and it's really fascinated me and i went to portugal and i studied at a community called terra alta which we discussed about and yeah. It really blew my mind um, what can be done, not just, let's say, on an ecological level in terms of how we can design systems to support sustainable agriculture and sustainable living, but also the social aspect of permaculture, mm -hmm. um, which brings us to people care. Mm. Um, and funnily enough, 
after I went down this whole route of working in permaculture and I got really into composting because I love composting and I started this whole compost awareness campaign and mm. I really I still love the, the land and I work the land but I really I went back down the people route again because mm. I realized you know our disconnection as people to other people can really cause a lot of the pain that's happening to the world because the reality is a lot of the damage that happens to nature comes from us as human beings and often when we're choosing let's say profit over you know supporting nature and the world that is coming from a deep wound within us that absolutely you know that we're trying to fill we're trying to let's say Mm-hmm. try to like uh we're we're either wanting more money to be able to live a more nourishing life or we're trying to do better with our life but we're trying to fulfill stuff inside us Absolutely. with wanting more and pushing let's say making nature not a priority and these mm. let's say actions that that cause nature to suffer come from a deep inner inner pain within us mm. and i really started to realize that oh there was a point when I was an activist and I was angry at the government and I was angry at people who didn't recycle and I was angry at people who didn't care about what was happening to the world and they just lived their lives and there was a lot of anger within me. Mm. And it, it, and it creates started. a lot of, it creates a lot of grief as well. Like we, I think what you're speaking about is just beautiful, the journey, but it also creates people are, it's uh, grief and fear intermix yes and totally totally and the thing is the, a lot of that grief is suppressed and yeah. numbed because yeah. so many things happening in the world mm. and there's so much let's say devastation yeah. and suffering that if we actually allowed ourselves to feel the pain for all of that it's so overwhelming no, it's, that it's we, too we much build, yeah yeah it's too much so we build these defense mechanisms to be able to numb ourselves a little bit that's why we can scroll facebook and see all of these wars and things happening and just be numb to it because we built a bit of a, a, an armor around it because if we felt it it would be too much and actually we all have that capacity to feel and we all get affected not no human being can see another human being fall on their face and not react to that mm. this is just it's mm. impossible we all have that feeling to to care for another but we often feel out of our own fear of our own survival that we we put ourselves first mm. and Anyway, just to conclude this journey yeah. is that in the end, I ended up, I was, let's say, an activist and I was doing a lot and I was part of a lot of organizations and I was part of a lot of NGOs and trying to do all these different awareness campaigns and I burnt myself out. I got burnt out many, many times mm. and I realized that I was trying to fix this world, trying mm. to fix everything around me because Firstly, one, there wasn't an acceptance for the world around me. I didn't accept the world as it is. I just wanted to change it. Yeah. And the inner reflection was that I didn't accept myself as I was. Mm. I didn't love and accept love myself. That. And I was I looking outwardly to fix the world. But really, yeah. I wanted to fix myself. Because yeah. I didn't love and accept myself as I am. So then I went on a big self-love journey for a few years where I... Yeah, I explored self-love and self-worthiness and I did a lot of mirror work and all of, and I went to India and I did a lot of meditation and all of these things where I went more into my own, let's say, pain and trauma and shadows and I did a lot of the self-work 
and I still I'm still at it you know it's self-work um never ends never, seems, <laughs> never, never ends, ends. <laughs> I still feel unworthy often and I still mm. you know have to battle with my own self-love and mm. so that's a, a life journey but yeah. after that I started feeling like wow I really I feel like as soon as we dissolve this separation between human beings as soon as we bring back more of this connection and this oneness with everyone mm. and that can be done in certain ways um, mm. that we feel this love for the planet and for human humanity and we want to give back and we want to actually give in a way that we're giving it within our boundaries and love for ourselves so from loving myself I felt that I could love others and nature more and give in a way that I wasn't burning myself out because mm. I wasn't giving from a place of not accepting the world i was giving from a place of love yeah so i feel like that opened a new world for me which is yeah just how to uh contribute and give to the world and to others but from a place of love not from a place of fear which i was doing when i was younger mm. no and that's a really i think also that's a very profound uh, way of looking at it because i think I, I, how I've seen it and why I've never probably called myself an activist is because I, I also feel that once a, a, a group of people gather for a cause, there's all kinds of individual motives, like you were saying, for doing so. And sometimes, you know, although the cause in itself is very good, it can also perpetuate almost like a wave of more, it's like, what can I say, like more hate or fear uh, instead of, like you're saying, creating or being a part of the solution on an individual plane. I've just seen so many, because I've also worked actually with, what was funny the first time we met is that we've done exactly the same things throughout our professional life, because I also did festivals in refugee camps. It's so funny, because I didn't know you were doing that too. So I also, uh, I deeply feel with, with, you know, so where do we attack it from? How do we help people and how do we, you know, uh, but, and I think my trajectory to, towards helping the planet was always because I, I, I'm actually, I'm saying it online. So now it's being said, but I'm very introvert. I'm, I'm not a group person. So activism was kind of a no go for me because I can't handle large group opinions one big group mm. deciding one you know I, I so my path has always been the individual path um of self self-healing but I love how and I would love for you to actually go a little bit more into this this beautiful reflection you have on inner ecology and outer ecology if we can go a little bit deeper into uh, the work that you've been working on in terms of when you really saw how it really starts from within because I feel uh, the, the perspectives you have are very new to me um, from yeah they're just you you changed it up a little yeah. bit and I find it so beautiful uh, how it also reflects in permaculture and that the work you do with the land etc um, could you go deeper into that yes yeah yes, for sure definitely um, I guess it started for me when I actually started doing work with nature because mm. when I was 
doing a lot of protests and against Monsanto and all of these things. In essence, when you're there and you're protesting against something, right? The vibration of that is separation. It is and fear, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know? And yeah. I'm not putting down anyone who does this and people who, no, no. who, you know, it's still it's still valid and it's still important. Mm. But I started to see as soon as I tell somebody you are wrong, yeah. As soon as somebody I tell that to someone, automatically they go into closure. Automatically, yeah. nobody no, nobody exactly. likes to be told they're wrong. No, nobody. No. So as soon as I'm saying you're doing something wrong, you should change what you're doing. People close up. And I feel it's just less effective to be able to actually have actual change. You know, exactly. for sure, there's been impacts from protests and all of these things. Mm. But I feel like as soon as we're we're closing people off um, by telling them they're wrong, then automatically it doesn't support a new story of um, of interbeing, which is this is something that Charles Eisenstein is mm. a writer. Um, I'm sure you've, you've heard his work. Mm. Um, he talks no, I haven't a lot about, actually. So there's the, Charles yeah, exactly. So the, Charles Eisenstein. Mm. So he talks about the old story of separation, mm. which is maybe, you know, what we've grown up in, and the new story of interbeing, which is basically a world where us as human beings, we work together in a way. You know, we all have this view of a more beautiful world our hearts know is possible. You know, we all in our hearts know that there can be a world where human beings are taking care of each other, where we're nourishing the planet, where we're not taking from the environment, but giving to it. We all can imagine this world and we can all have the capacity to believe that it, it can actually happen. Mm. So he wrote this book called A More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. And he talks a lot about this, that this is the old story of separation. The going against people, the going against others and saying you're doing something wrong and you have to change. Yeah. That is the old story of separation. Yeah. Mm. And the new story of interbeing is more about stepping into a place of self-love and love for each other and the planet in a way that we can be creative. We don't have to to um, deal with social change in a way that um, we're, we're wronging people, you know? So uh, this is where I got into deep ecology. Yeah. Yeah. This is where I got into deep ecology because mm. I was, you know, I really had this, this fighter in me. I wanted to like bring change. And then I felt really helpless because I felt like nothing was changing. Yeah. And I discovered this in New Zealand from, um, in a lovely community called Tui, mm. and is that um, Aboriginal? Is that uh, native people, or is it? Uh, well, uh, um, the community. No, I think it's well. It's just the community it's, it's, with people Kiwi living people, there. Huh? Yes, okay. they're Kiwis. Um, but it's a really lovely community, um, and I learned about permaculture, more permaculture there, and I met really some um, amazing people, mm. and. Um, one woman introduced me to um, a work called Deep Ecology, which mm. is by a woman called Joanna Macy. Mm-hmm. And the work is, it's called The Work That Reconnects. Mm. And there was this activist, Joanna Macy, in, in the 60s, she was a big activist. And mm-hmm. she realized that act- protesting wasn't working. And she wanted to find a way to bring more social change. And the what she discovered through her years of, of exploring this topic was that creating more human connection between between humans mm. softens us in a way that we can step into our hearts and be able to act from a place of love. So dissolving this connection we have in society. Mm. And when I talk about this connection, I mean, you know, the way we're just walking in the street and some other human passes us and we don't even look at them. 
You know, we don't we even look at them in the eye. We yeah. we go to the supermarket and we don't look at the person who's serving us. We're so we we've 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 grown up in a world where it's okay to just not connect with other human beings. Well, and I think I, I my take on it is a lot about, but maybe it's also the northern culture that I'm from. But my take on it is a lot about protection, and yes. um, that because we it's not that we I I believe we deeply crave uh, human connection. And I think, you know, yes. the way it's being compartmentalized is usually uh, in only romantic or sexual relationships and very like, you know, like the movies or like the b- books or, you know, whatever. And then I think it's, you know, it's like the the other idea is that if not protect yourself, especially as a woman, I, I don't know, this is my, my programming, yes. how I've kind of... Yes, yeah. totally, because... Um... So the work about Joanna Macy, it's, it's basically creates human connection through yeah. certain simple exercises. A lot right. of them are eye gazing. Mm. A lot of them are just gentle t- hand touch. Mm. Um, but some playful games as well. But they're exercises actually that invite us to come together, see eye to eye, mm. and both experience often the pain of the world that we, we suppress and we numb, that we mentioned before. Mm. So we all have certain things that we're more sensitive about. Some people are more sensitive about animals. Some people are more sensitive about the rainforests. Mm. And we all actually collectively have the capacity to feel this pain. So the work invites us to bring up these topics. Mm. And through through exercises and through um, certain activities, um, as human beings, we connect to the reality that we actually all have the con- these concerns um, about, like, about what the suffering in the world. We all actually have these fears, mm. and when we actually sit down and and, and talk about it and create this connection, it re- we realize how we're all so connected, and we all have the same fears and worries in life, and we we we. We don't realize how similar I am to the person sitting right next to me who I would probably have never said hello to. Mm. And that that collective pain that we often numb out when we feel that together, one, it can it can contribute to more healing for the planet. And mm. two, it bonds us as human beings and it allows us to be more empathetic with people we see who we think are doing something wrong. Mm. So if I, you know, if I see someone throwing rubbish in the middle of nature and it really triggers me, you know, this work allows us to be a bit more empathetic and not go into judgment. Because mm. o- o- the judgment of the person isn't actually going to solve the situation. Mm. But the, em- the empathent- em- empathy that we can feel for another human being and maybe communicate from a place of empathy rather than um, blame or accusation allows us to be able to create more healing and a new story of, of interbeing. Yeah. Um, when we can act from this place of love, like, okay, this person threw some rubbish, they probably are not aware, they're probably a bit disconnected. Maybe they're going through some pain in their life yeah. that they're so numb that, you know, doing something destructive, like throwing something in nature, this doesn't affect them, you know. But deep inside, this person has a heart and this person has suffers and has, has pain as well. Yeah. But more likely than not, a lot of us grow up uh, numbing a lot of our emotions and numbing. Um, in a lot of very common ways, watching movies, watching Netflix, going shopping, you know, drinking, alcohol, everything. Mm, it's, mm. it's its all designed to numb us from emotions because going within can be quite painful sometimes. 
Yeah, and I think and you know we avoid that. Yeah, and, and what uh, what I love about what we've been also discussing before, it's you know, I have to say because I always do this when I have a podcast. Sometimes for the ones listening, you know, things can be very broad. In just you know, for for us who have heard and talk about this quite often, for others this can become like. It's so broad and also a lot of thoughts arise, such as, yes. for example, yeah, but I can't go and do that. Yeah, but I can't go and do that. You know what I mean? Like, who, who you know, I, I can't just go and hug the random next person. But I, what yeah. I love to do is I love to turn it around to see it from a different perspective. And when you talk about uh, how we numb our emotions, I think that's actually some, to be honest, I'm just saying, uh, I might step on some toes, but you know that's what we're here. No, just kidding. But we're going to be honest, right? The human experience Always. is usually much more about suppressing in the times we're living in, rather than connecting. If we can say that, right? So I think yeah. a lot of people can um, kind of relate to the fact that what can I say that they can more relate to their disconnection than their connectedness. Because I also speak a lot about self-love in terms of connectedness. But yeah. yet we have to start where we're at, you know? And it's also fine. It's also okay. I think it's also something about saying it's okay to overeat because you can't deal with your emotions if that's where you're at. What yes. we just need to talk about is that it's happening. And that, that there is a deeper need underneath these, these actions. And what I love about you, if you want to, just for like the end of the, the podcast, talk a little bit about, I'm just going to, sorry, I'm just going to do a new recording so it doesn't break the flow. But you speak also in deep ecology about deep intimacy. Mm-hmm. that's beyond sex and you know what yeah. how does that play into you know our connectedness well, yeah yeah for sure because that's that's that then, then led me to my the next part of my journey yeah um but just to conclude about what we said about the numbing yeah um i think you know just being aware that you're numbing is really an amazing step. Just even yeah, seeing yourself. Exactly. Like, well, sometimes I'm like, why am I overeating? You know, and right. then I realize, okay, I yeah. think there's some pain in there. And the thing is, the human experience can be quite a painful thing. Yeah. You know, that's the reality. But we want to be comfortable all the time. And, you know, stepping... For me, my favorite quote is this, which is, um, so pain is inevitable. So as human beings, we're going to experience pain. It's inevitable. We all experience pain in our lives. Suffering is a choice. Yeah. So often suffering is not accepting pain. As soon as we're in pain and we don't want to be in pain, that is suffering and that is a choice. And that is something that we can choose to not be in. Yeah. And often suffering is prolonged because we're not accepting pain. And often just embracing so pain. Yeah. Just embracing pain, allowing us, to, allowing ourselves to be in the discomfort of the reality of this moment mm. allows it to pass through us so much quicker but we're so afraid of it because we're just not used to doing it yeah and we don't create the space for it and it's not a normal thing in society mm. you know to do 
So just allowing pain to be there and sitting with it is such a healing, transformational thing because yeah. it, it ends it eventually, you know. Mm. So just and then go back to the intimacy topic. So what I started realizing through the connection work mm. is um, so as soon as we have we feel this human connection with another person, we feel connected to ourselves, we feel connected to the universe, to God, to to nature, to everything, whatever, whatever it is, we, we feel this, this grace is this, this divine energy that gives us mm. life. We mm. feel connected to that because it's beyond our capacity, but mm. it feels like this godly love and often just eye gazing for a few minutes can, can give us that connection, but it's scary and it's vulnerable. But um, why is vulnerability? Why is that scary and vulnerable? If you can just, it's scary I know because you, we're seen. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're allow ourselves to be seen, and often we don't even allow ourselves to see ourselves, and we're afraid that someone's going to see us. They're going to see us for our shadows, for our failures, for our insecurities, and we're so vun- we're so seen in that moment that mm. our vulnerabilities come out. But mm. we're conditioned to think that vulnerability is weakness, when actually <sighs> vulnerability is courage. Say and that one more I, time, because that that is like the basis of everything I believe in. It's like nice. this is where it starts, you know, and it's it takes yeah. so much more energy to uphold a mask, a face, it, in order not to be vulnerable than it does to actually be vulnerable. Yes. Vulnerable is the greatest release. It's like a, you know, it's the greatest release, but yes, you won't know so until powerful. you've done it. Yeah, and I, I follow a lot of Brené Brown's work. She studies yeah. shame and she talks a lot about vulnerability. Love and her. Yeah. For me, now I'm really passionate about how to bring this into the workplace. You know, how can we bring yeah. vulnerability into Absolutely. our conscious businesses and create change through business? Um, but yeah, vulnerability is, is something we're terrified of because, yeah. you know, we don't want to be seen as weak to other people. But actually, it, it, it's, it's courage and actually it creates more strength in, in, a, in a person. So, yeah. yeah, but back to the intimacy topic, mm. um, I guess I started realizing that, let's say, my, int- my intimate connections with people and my, let's say, even my sexual connections mm. were, were, let's say, could felt a bit, um, not superficial, but they felt on the surface, you know, they yeah. didn't feel like very deep. They just felt like I was making love in the way that I was sold on television, you know, like yeah. just the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And it felt very mechanical and it didn't feel like a deep, powerful experience. Mm. And when I started reading a lot about conscious sex and, and Tantra and all of these topics, I started mm. realizing, okay, there's another way. There's another way to, to relate uh, in sexuality that doesn't, need to be the way I was taught you know Mm. and how there's you know there's so much sexual let's say abuse in the world that's still a really really big issue in the world and a lot of that comes from our our suppression of sexuality because we we it's a taboo topic and we suppress Mm. it because there's so much shame around sexuality that you know it's very suppressed and that's what leads to a lot of sexual abuse in the world Mm. where if this topic was more, you know, more embraced and I mean, we're sexual beings and we, yeah. we need to be able to express that and we need to be taught how to express that as well and how to do that with boundaries, with consent, but we're not, we're just sort of thrown into the arena and then abuse happens. Yeah. And I also, so, I can, if I can add, I, I deeply feel that it has a lot 
to do with the role of the female, how the female is portrayed in um, society. Like a lot of young girls, they think they have to look like, you know, I, I read somewhere, I think it was on Goop. I don't know if you know Gwyneth Paltrow. They were talking about sexuality and they said that um, vaginal operation or whatever it's called, like of the uh -huh. lobbyists and, you know, uh -huh. to have them look a certain way was on the increase with, I don't know, 40 to 50%. And it's because no. a lot of young women are looking yeah. at porn. And so they think, and most of the porn actresses, they're operated down there, you know, yes. they have fixed their, you know, their lobbyists or, you know, what did she call? She said the proper word is vulva. I don't know. Vulva. Yeah, vulva. vulva. And yeah. and she said that so young girls they think they have to like be in the positions you know I'm talking like their first sexual experiences right a lot of people get that from porn and things couldn't be more distorted and there's this huge pressure as well I can only speak I only speak from my own perspective I'm not blaming the man or anything but I I don't know how it, what it feels to be a young man in his first sexual experience from that point of view. But I just read that and I was just like, fuck, you know, and then it's not easy for the man either to change anything when that's what the woman also feels pressured to do. And there you have it, you know, from the get-go. Yeah, it comes from years and years of, of, of sexual, let's say, suppression and let's say it not being a topic that we widely talk about in public to be able to, to learn and grow from it and be able to have these more deeper connected experiences with our sexuality. Mm. You know, it's like a topic that, that should be at school because it's so Absolutely. valid, you know. Yeah. Um hmm. yeah, and and then when I when I got more into this work I started um realizing, you know, how, how touch is a really, really um, important need for us as human beings. Hmm. And often we associate touch with um with sexual touch, you yeah. know. Yeah. And non-sexual touch is something that's really omitted from just even our our non-sexual relationships, you know, our relationships with our parents, with our friends, mm -hmm. you know, we don't massage each other. Well, I, I, it depends what society you're in, but... It really, I think it's very massive. cultural, to be honest. I feel yes. like it's very cultural because in some culture, they're almost like super touchy-feely, like yeah. a lot in the Asian culture, you know, mm -hmm. you live there, like they massage each other quite a lot, actually. And especially yes, like, uh -huh. um, I remember like my grandmother was like, it was almost like mandatory for me to walk on her back, you know, yes. she's Asian. So, you know, yeah. Yes. I think as a kid, it's different, you know, as well. Cause I remember also, even with my dad, Absolutely. he used to, you know, he used to, let's say not make me, but encourage me to massage his head and massage his back yeah. and walk on his back as well. And, yeah. you know, but now I don't massage him and in a way I would love to, you know, but we, yeah. I think as we get, as we get older, you know, the, the, our consent and our boundaries with touch changes, you know, and there's, there's yeah. more shame in, in having touch at a at 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 later age. Mm. And I see it with my friend's daughter. Like, often we don't ask to touch children, we just touch them. You know, we yeah. just think, oh, yeah. That's just ruffled true. someone's head, a child's head. Like, if an, if an adult did that to me and ruffled my head, just meeting me for the first time, I'd be like, hey, like, you need consent to just touch my head. Yeah. But children, we don't check in on consent. No, that's true. And so the, these are the way we, ways we grow up, that people can just touch mm. us and we do nothing about it, you know? Yeah. So we just have to accept it. And that's why there's so much endurance in sexuality and people just having to endure and not, not necessarily even knowing what they like and how to communicate what they like and thinking that what they're experiencing should just be what, they, what sex is and 
they should enjoy it. And if they don't enjoy it, then there's something wrong with them. Oh, it makes me want to cry. <laughs> yeah. There's a no, lot of because endurance. it's such a, I don't know, it's, it's sad. It's sad. Yeah. It, it, it is sad. But luckily, mm. you know, no, more and more these days, there are a lot of places we can go have to learn to empower ourselves, to yeah. step into our boundaries, to check mm. in with our consent, to mm. even experience what we like and how to ask for it. Mm. There's so many different workshops and things. And, and I also think, yeah. I, I think in partnerships in general, when when we as women are you know uh, empowered in our sexuality i i my only experience from that talking to guy friends and partners etc cetera, etc cetera, because I, this is also something you know that i've studied myself and i just feel like they feel so relieved when a woman is sexually empowered um yeah. because it's like they don't have to live up to like this Superman role, like in the porn movies where they have to, you know, be perfect. And, and, and also vice versa, actually, when, when we're empowered and when we can communicate our needs. But I also feel that this is like with everything in life, it's also just, we've just kind of created this uh, ring of shame around sexuality. But this yeah. goes for absolutely everything when you're self-expressed, you know? I don't like, you know, I don't like this. I like this, you know. So it's also like, how can we take that? I feel like it's at the core of it. It's much, much more about self-worthiness and self-acceptance than yeah, anything and, else. And also like, you know, knowing that our expression is okay and it doesn't have to be a certain way, you know, and getting the right knowledge and tools for us to be able to live more consciously, to relate with each other more consciously, to have more, you know, a deeper sexual experiences in a way that we're really mm. um, checking in with our boundaries, with the other person's boundaries. And, mm. and also, you know, there's a lot of shadows in sexuality and mm. we need to work with those shadows, you know, we need to understand them. And there's a lot of, let's say, sexual um, therapy that needs to be done for a lot of us. Mm. Um, and that's why, you know, I, I, I'm very into the wheel of consent of Betty Martin. And I don't I know a, that. I did it. Sorry. I don't know that one. Uh, so the wheel of consent, it's, it's really powerful work. And um, I did a training in Vienna actually last year. And she teaches, there's a whole wheel of consent and all the different um, ways that you know and w ways that, that you can check in with the consent of, your, of yourself and of the other person. Because sometimes I'm touching you and... And I'm thinking you're enjoying it mm. and you, and you're letting me touch you, but you're not actually enjoying it, but you think I'm enjoying it. So you're allowing me. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. In the yeah. end, we're, we're both like not enjoying it. No, but, but it's you, exactly. And you're doing it for me. But we're not talking about it, but no one's enjoying it. But you know, and some sexual <laughs> relationships actually, can last yeah. like that it's for a, years. It's a serious thing though. Yes, but yeah, if you don't talk about it, how yeah, do you know that? You totally. know, and, and you mm. always have to check in. Am I touching this person for myself or mm. am I touching it for them? And if I'm touching it for them, should I check in and see, do they actually enjoy this touch mm. or do they want something different? Yeah. Let's create a conscious dialogue around how we like to be touched, you know, mm. without any shame or um, any boxes of how touch has to happen and in what way. Yeah. So she teaches a lot of this work and then she also goes into the shadow side of all of this, you know, because then there's touch without consent, yeah. you know, and all of these other things. Mm. So it's, it's, yeah, it gave me a whole new perspective on, on, you know, sex therapists, on, you know, body, sexual, sex, sexological body workers. Mm. I would love for, really I would actually love for you to write down so we can just post it in the post. 
yes uh, under yes, your, your bio and also like yeah. yeah i can definitely i can post about my friends that um, are on time and they organize a lot of this intimacy work yeah in europe yeah so we we're gonna have to wrap it up i i yes. i can carry on i can always carry on and i always go over time but uh what i would love for you to do is uh yeah um for us to write down under this uh podcast for anyone interested in going deeper into this work obviously i'm gonna leave your info because also you do you're involved in these kind of different events yourself yeah. you know uh and you have a website right Yes, I yeah. have a website. Um, it's um, thrivemalta.com. Yeah, so I'm going to put, put it under under here anyway, and you can write all of the the beautiful authors that you've been, you know, quoting mentioning. and mentioned. Yeah. yeah. So I think because uh, it's this is really deep work, and I think it's also so. I just love that we're having this topic that we started off Thank with you. social impact, ending with sexuality, because what the whole yeah. the whole thing about being a human being is that it's a, it's um it's a, it's definitely about oneness with other human beings but it's also that we're a complete human being uh, yeah. there's no parts of us that we cannot uh, i read this beautiful post so i have like a, my kind of guru in terms of sexual sexuality who i just love at the moment i'm following a woman called alexandra roxo and she uh, she she also does a lot of uh, intimacy work and shadow work with women especially and what i love about what she wrote is how she is um she said you know yeah people can comment this and they can say this about you know i'm too much of this i'm too little of that i'm too sexual of this i'm too but it's also about owning absolutely every part of ourselves because it's yeah. also about we've all had really clumsy sex. We've all been super sexually confused. We've yeah. all felt the grief of this world. At the same time, we can feel super empowered to be doing something. Like it's 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 not, I feel often, especially when I listen to podcasts or I'm inspired by an author, it's like this feeling that arises in me is usually that I have to be one thing or the other. No, we're complete human beings. We can feel so many conflicted things at the same time. But I think the basis of why I do this podcast is also so we can explore and have more self-acceptance through just the exploration in itself. And self-expression. Yeah. yeah, we don't need to be perfect in all of these areas. That's a lie. Who? Nobody's going to be, you know, perfectly self-expressed perfectly healed perfect recycling you know i put plastic in the in the the main bin all the time and i don't tell people you know and i care about the planet still and i you know i let yeah. the water run because i live in norway and then when i go to malta i'm like super careful about water you know i yeah. think also it's something about taking off the pressure a little bit and and just being like it's about the exploration that's what's the human experience you know yeah, and for me, it's checking in where it's coming from. Like, is it coming from love or is it coming from fear? I feel like whenever I'm trying to make a decision or I'm in doubt, I check in. Is this coming from love or from fear? And straight away, mm. that's the easiest question to be able to, you know when it's fear. You know, no, I yeah. love myself. No, yeah. Really yeah. Check yeah. in when it's fear. And then what would love do? You know, what would love mm. do in this situation? I love that. Thank you for ending with that. 
Thank you so Thanks. much, Alexandra. It was just a pleasure oh, having you. And so um, I yeah, I hope you'll you'll be coming on, and we'll be talking more about. Maybe I'll be going to Malta again, and we'll be doing yes, it from there. Come on, um, but I hope anyone listening uh, that you enjoyed this talk. And obviously, we're going into a lot of deep topics. But if you want to dive deeper into them, feel free to contact me or Alexandra. I, I guess that's yeah, that's also you know. That's fine. Um, and. Yeah, thank you for listening. And if you want to listen to just the podcast, we also have the the link below. So with that, we're just going to say goodbye. Are we going to do like a duo? Thank you, everyone, for listening. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Okay, I just stopped.